0: Dear listeners, Happy Wednesday and welcome to another episode of the Female Guides Requested Podcast. I'm your host Ting Ting from Las Vegas. Today's guest is Andrea Cherist and she is very special. I met Andrea in 2007 at my very first warfare course on the East Coast. I after all moved to the West Coast wanting to climb longer objectives, but thanks to the rise of social media, Andrea and I stay connected. Right now, Andrea co-owns Petra Cliffs Climbing Center and Mountaineering School. She is an AMGA certified ice instructor, assistant rock guide, and apprentice alpine guide. She navigates work and life as a mother, partner, guide, ally, and Mamu Ambassador. In this episode, Andrea talked about how she started her guiding career in Vermont, how she found harmony between motherhood and work, and how she regained her footing after a devastating accident almost claimed her husband Steve's life. During her interview, Andrea expressed gratitude to the climbing community, emphasizing the immense support that she has received. Andrea is humble and resilient, competent and professional. She loves what she is doing and she is damn good at what she is doing. Now, please enjoy this episode. Yeah, I actually haven't done the Zoom interview for a while. That it's always a little bit awkward for me, just because yeah. there's no face-to-face. Into I-, I don't know why is that, but I guess you can understand.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. so you've done some in-person.
0: I try to you- do most in-person, uh, but
1: it's. I mean, I'm, I I soon run out of options. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, I would I'd love to come. I just signed up for my rock guide exam again in October 2024. So next year. Wow, you can sign out that early. Um, well, I applied. Yeah, you, I guess you have to. And then I won't know until spring if I'm in. Um, nice. But I need to get to Red Rock this fall, next spring, and then early next spring. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll come out and see you.
0: Yeah, let me know, and um, we should uh, we, we should go climb together. That'd be great. Yeah, and then I can tell you some local beta if you need it.
1: Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's been a little while since I've been out there. Twenty Well, 2018? No, 2019. Yeah, right before COVID, we were there.
0: Oh, okay, so it's actually not too
1: long ago then. No, but that, that time was funny because we brought my daughter out and she was two and a half and so the main goal was like getting Steve climbing again after his accident
0: uh,
1: yeah and uh yeah so he got to climb some multi-pitch routes and I just chased a toddler around <laughs> 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 and climbed some single pitch it was good but I uh, yeah I think the first time I've ever been there when I've only climbed single pitch routes it was weird <laughs> I see
0: yeah, you actually mentioned quite a few points that I actually really want to talk about. You mentioned nice. your toddler, your daughter. How oh, old mm-hmm. is she now? McKinley, right?
1: McKinley, six and a half. Six and a half. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, also, uh, Steve, I don't know whether you really want to talk about his injury when I
1: was okay. Um, yeah, I'm happy to. Sure. Okay, <laughs> great.
0: So, um, so basically, this interview, um, well. I've Interview a lot of female guides, and then you especially are very inspiring. And just <laughs> can you just do a, a very quick intro of yourself um, for the
1: audience? Oh man, I'm always. This is my my weakness. <laughs> um, before we do though, do you remember when we did a wilderness first responder? Oh yeah, I totally. Yeah, it. okay. Yeah, that's how we, <laughs> we met. Got remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember
0: uh, it was very long time ago because I left East Coast in 2008. So it was
1: way back. Yeah. I was trying to remember when that was. And yeah, it was That's only before what, like for sure. Okay. Yeah. It was only 10 day, eight or 10 days or something, but then oh, you, yeah. then you really got started with your guiding career. That right? was
0: my very first warfare then. Okay. 10 days. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I remember at the end of the warfare, I think it was you invite people to your house or somewhere in the public park for a barbecue or something.
1: Hmm. I don't remember.
0: Yeah. But I certainly remember that we met during the warfare. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Um, okay. An intro. Um, well, my name is Andrea Charest and I'm a climber and a guide and I co-own a climbing gym in Burlington, Vermont called Petrocliffs. Uh, I'm a mother and gear. Um, I have a little garden. I have a uh, ju- little jewelry side business. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, really? wow. uh, Yeah. Called Alpine Joy on Etsy. <laughs> I didn't uh, even know about that. It was, it's you like, put it on your, <laughs> your Instagram,
0: did you? I did not see your profile.
1: I try to stay kind of anonymous. It's like a very shoulder season thing and it's not consistent. It's only when I have time. So it's in little spurts here and there. But um, yeah, I love it.
0: Then I have like more questions for you because I am also <laughs> thinking about starting a side hustle myself. Uh, but then okay. I'm not quite sure what that would be. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> great. And so, all right, let's start. I know the owner climbing gym, you mm-hmm. guide. Both rock and ice, right? Um, do yep. you also do ski
1: too? I have done some Vermont back, backcountry skiing and some New Hampshire, New Hampshire backcountry skiing guiding. Um, I haven't taken a ski guide course yet. I see. So, so at this point, it's not within my scope of practice to guide skiing. Um, but we are trying to get Petrocliffs accredited through the AMGA. Um, So then I would become a tenured guide because I've been guiding since 2003 with Petrocliffs. And so I'd be able to do, you know, just some basic Vermont backcountry ski guiding.
0: Nice. So then you have a business including the climbing gym and your own guiding business and your side hustle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the business is all connected. So it's a we're Petrocliffs Climbing Center and Mountaineering School. Um, So it's all lumped together, the climbing gym, the mountaineering school, writing. And uh, let's see,
0: and you are also a mom, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that your daughter is six and a half right now. Right. So um, to be honest, I think maybe we'll talk about, if you don't mind, about the motherhood, because I uh, chat with some women. And then they either wait until their kids are much older before they really jump into the guiding career, or they decide not to have kids. Like I, like I don't have kids. I always feel I do have two cats, but obviously the complexity is like very different than having real human um, right. kids. So how? Was Oops. that always in your plan and how did you manage to for your time and your career past in at the same time raising a kid?
1: Sure. Yeah. I knew or I thought that I always wanted to have kids. Um, you know, as a kid, I would write in my diary all of my daughter's names that I wanted to have. I never wanted to have a son. I always Ooh. wanted to have a daughter.
0: <laughs> that, and <I'm> uh, curious.
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> yep. Um, but then actually when I did get pregnant, I thought I was having a boy because I was just like, I don't know. Now I seem like more of a boy mom. But um, but we couldn't think of any boy names. So it was a good thing that I had a girl. <laughs> um, and we knew we wanted to have kids. I got married in 2006, um, and it was something that Steve and I talked about. We knew we wanted to have kids, but we were having a really great time just – doing a lot of playing and we're both guides. So, you know, doing some guiding and doing some playing, climbing, skiing all over the place. Um, and we kept saying, yeah, yeah, we want to have kids, but not right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We want to have kids, but not right now. And I think after we got married in 2006, people had a pool of how quickly we'd have kids. And some people thought like, Oh, within a year, within five years, but it was 10 years (laughs) after we got married. Um, and the plan was to take my rock guide exam, pass it, of course, and then have a kid. But yeah, then I took my rock guide go- <laughs> <as well. laughs> Didn't go as planned. I took my rock guide exam. I didn't pass. And so then I was like, oh, no, do I have a kid and put the rock guide exam on hold again? Or do I take the rock guide exam again and put having a kid on hold? But at that point, I was 35, and I felt like eh, time was ticking. So I did sign up for the rock exam again, um, like October of 2017, October of 2016. Um, but then I ended up getting pregnant in May of 2016. So I was very pregnant by October. <laughs> like the rocket exam wasn't going to happen, being that pregnant art mooney did say well you could be the first um participant to take the exam in a full body harness
0: <laughs> Ooh,
1: i was like that sounds miserable
0: <laughs> it does sound miserable it'll be yes. hard
1: yeah yeah especially the full body harness that i had only has one gear loop
0: <laughs> oh so you have so. to put that gear on, on one side
1: yeah, it was great for doing some sport leading and cleaning, but, you know, no trad climbing by the time I was pregnant enough that I was wearing a full body harness.
0: That's interesting. So you were saying that you do sound like still doing some sport leading. I thought that I, actually I'm never pregnant, obviously. So uh, <laughs> I'm wondering, a lot of people say that they they would not want to do a leader's fall, right? So mm. do you? So you still let sport clients? Were you like more conservative, just hopping on things that you probably were not gonna fall?
1: Definitely, yeah. It was definitely more conservative. And the first time I felt that impact of like, ooh, I want to take it easy. Um, I found out that I was pregnant probably not until about late June. And so I had been guiding a little bit and Steve and I had been planning a trip to the Alps and our plan was to summit the Matterhorn, the Eiger and Mont Blanc all within a two week period because somehow the weather was going to line up perfectly (laughs) and we were going to summit everything. Um, But then we were kind of making plans to stay in huts and found out that I was pregnant. Um, And so we thought like, well, can I still climb to 15,000 feet and sleep at 12,000 feet? You know, there are people who live at that elevation and get pregnant, but to travel to that elevation, yeah, it was kind of an unknown. So we ended up just changing the trip around a little bit and do it, basically rented a car and had two days of accommodations at a time and just drove where it was sunny <laughs> and did some sunny sport climbing and some alpine climbing, uh, but always slept down low again, Um. But we got onto a route, um, Harold at Maud on Point la chanel um, right off of the um, Agui-de-Midi outside of Chamonix. And yeah, climbing a couple pitches of that, just it's like a 510 granite, beautiful granite. But I was definitely freaked out because I didn't want to fall at that point. I see. so yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that kind of reminds me that the decision making that we us guys we often do is like, okay, there's something unexpected happened, then we kind of have to change plan on our feet. So it's mm-hmm. very similar, I thought. So you have all this trip planned out now. Okay, I'm pregnant, I have to change plans. So I think you're probably very familiar with that series of decision making.
1: Absolutely. And I'd say, you know, more so in the ice realm too than in the rock realm for me, like just backup plans and yeah. Okay. Is that because uh,
0: I don't cut ice that much? So is that because there there will be more unexpected things happening during that ice
1: outing? Yeah, I think conditions of the quality of the ice or whether the ice is even there or, um, you know, conditions of the approach can change a lot more than rock climbing. can. I see. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. for
0: approach. So like right now for, for red rock, the biggest thing is the crowd. So, um, so I have like plan ABC, but probably for mm-hmm. ice, you have more of like objective hazards and stuff.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah.
0: I definitely know that a lot of women who, um uh, our climbers are re- already and then they got pregnant they didn't really change too dramatically about their personal climbing thing. Maybe they let they lead less, um, follow more. But how about guiding though? Because as a guide that you well we sometimes we can go to a time and set up top rows, but we a lot of time we have to lead. How does that affect you during your pregnancy about your guiding?
1: Yeah, during pregnancy I I mean, I, it, the timing worked out pretty well. I think I didn't guide in the fall much, but I got pregnant in May, but I didn't really know until about eight weeks. Um, so, yeah, I guess that would have been into July, like early, late June, early July is kind of when I realized it. Um, and I still guided that summer, so felt pretty comfortable guiding, you know, moderate routes that summer, but then – took it easy and didn't really guide much in the fall, mostly because it, for me, it just wasn't very comfortable to be climbing once I got bigger and I couldn't see my feet. (laughs) It was hard, even climbing in the gym, you know, where you have to get close to the wall and some balancey roots. routes. It was just not that fun for me. Um, But I did start skiing. I think we had a pretty early winter that year. Um, So I started ski touring and just that form of movement felt really good to me. So I skied all the way up until... I think probably a week before I gave birth um, at the end of February in 2017.
0: Then what was the biggest impact then? I mean, the balance between pregnancy and then when your kid was still very young, that so I know the breastfeeding and, and everything. Uh, how, well, because I don't have any experience, I don't even know how to ask <laughs> questions. What I'm trying to get out, uh, I guess, is I know that I have some female guide friend right now, they have like a one year old. So maybe like some advice or or just encouragement or some experience sharing, then let them know that it's possible, I guess. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah. I definitely stepped back a little bit in terms of how often I was guiding, Um, but I think at three months, we hired a nanny, which, at you know, my whole life, I was like, nannies, like, I could never afford a nanny. We're not the type of family that has a nanny. But oh, my goodness, thank goodness for nannies. (laughs) Because we have the kind of schedule that doesn't work with a traditional daycare schedule. You know, we guide on weekends. And so we need a lot of weekend care. And sometimes our days go longer. And um, so we found an incredible nanny. And that was worth every single penny um, because she really became a part of the family. Um, we didn't, at the, that point, having McKinley, we didn't have any family in town. And so we needed somebody like that who was just almost, almost full-time care. We started with her a few days a week. Um, and then after Steve's accident, we went up to five days a week just so I could still get to work and get to the hospital and visit Steve and still take care of McKinley. And that was a lot. <laughs> Yeah, Um, but guiding wise, you know, I think I'm also fortunate to have the climbing gym. So I was able to take her to the climbing gym from, I don't know, probably six weeks old. She started coming pretty regularly to the climbing gym because she was sleeping a lot. So I would like nurse in the corner. Um, She would sleep in a little bassinet and I would do payroll and whatever. Um, And so I would do, you know, bring her to the gym. A couple of days a week and then she'd have a nanny a few days a week so i could get out and guide i see
0: so uh from what i heard is uh luckily you have indoor space for guiding also outside space for guiding and you have some business admin kind of things to do so you definitely appreciate and, and recommend maybe the outside help but in the meantime yes. you have to shift <laughs> your work around to accommodate that
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, family is super helpful if it, if somebody has family in town. Now we do. My parents actually moved to be closer to us, which now is really helpful. Um, but that wasn't until uh, about three years ago. Um, so, yeah, the beginning, friends, leaning on friends, leaning on the nanny. <laughs> it takes a village, as they say, and it's very, very true. I see. So then I remember that
0: Steve has. Have- this very bad accident in two thousand eighteen mm-hmm. then, so you're pregnant in two thousand sixteen, wow, so the McKinley was two or three years old she was the...
1: almost two, yeah, so the Steve's accident was December, the very end of December twenty eighteen, and then she turned two in February of uh, twenty nineteen
0: yeah, because at that time, I was uh super shocked about the accident, so. You know, because you were at a time that, um, well, you, you already have a lot on your plate and your daughter was very young. And then obviously Steve's income probably is also very important for the family and everything. So mm-hmm. how, how did you juggle all the things and what exactly um, did you overcome all these hurdles?
1: yeah community is a big piece there i mean uh, like i mentioned we didn't have family in town at that point but we did have a lot of family that came to stay with us and help out um so that was amazing but then just the climbing community here kind of around the burlington area but really worldwide too we had a friend set up a gofundme um that really helped us for an entire year um because we're owners of the business, Steve isn't on our workers comp policy. Uh and it hadn't been recommended to us um to have a separate uh disability policy. Huh. Yeah. I see. And so when he got injured, we didn't have any, you know, workers comp, we didn't have disability insurance. So uh, <laughs> it I... was you know, nobody else was was paying him. We did try to get social security disability, um, but he was denied. So even though he was in the ICU for five weeks and then in inpatient rehab for two weeks um, and he had a moderate traumatic brain injury, he had a lot of injuries that were preventing him from working. He was denied for social security disability. And so I, I, you know as at the same time I was kind of running the business and managing our pay um and I decided not to pay him for a year so that he could potentially get disability through social security um but then he was denied uh and it came to the point where we would have had to go to court to fight for his ability to collect um disability and it was destroying him so badly he didn't want to be seen as you know disabled so I like couldn't keep doing that to him. So I just ended up dropping the claim. But that's where the GoFundMe really helped out because Steve didn't get paid for a year, but we still, you know, had we brought in our nanny more. Um, he had medical bills. So it's really helpful to have the community pitch in in that way. And I mean, all of the messages that people provided were amazing. You could see how, how helpful Steve had been um, in the climbing community. Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> and that surprised me, you were saying that because Steve was the owner of the company, so he, he couldn't claim the workman's comp. And I remember I went to an insurance uh, seminar. I They vaguely remember that. I think there's a way to give the owner workman's comp,
1: right? You can. It just typically is more expensive. Uh, Having the owners okay. on the policy is quite a bit more expensive because we're the ones doing a lot of the work and doing a lot of the guiding and... Um, to have us covered was more expensive, and so now knowing what we know, um, we have a separate disability policy. I see
0: so so looking back because I know that uh, um being injured is probably many guys afraid be uh, afraid of being injured right because when we are injured, we can't work and then just mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we will have a lot of financial impact. so uh, people been talking about disability insurance, if you can get some, and people have been talking about what if you can somehow get some office admin work. So in your case, because I do know that there's also a lot of guides, there are also uh, small companies, small guiding service owners. So in your case, from your past experience, you would recommend people to have a separate, just make sure that as uh, so the owner, and also because as a guy should be covered by some sort of insurance.
1: Yeah, and so all of our guides are covered under our workers' compensation. Yeah, anybody yes, anybody who works for us is covered. Um, so if yeah, if somebody works for another company, just make sure that they're covered under the workers' comp. Um, but if you yeah, if you own your own business, your private guide, just dig into that deeper because it's a big impact. Yeah, if you get injured and you can't work, you know, Steve wasn't satisfied washing dishes, I think that was disability's um, <laughs> response to him, was like, well, you could go be a dishwasher somewhere, like, oh, how demoralizing is that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I
0: totally understand, I mean, I mean, even, right, if, even, like, if somehow my fingers twig, I'm, like, depressed, because I can't yeah. rock, <laughs> so I, cannot, I can't imagine, like, with Steve's condition then definitely
1: it was pretty demoralizing for sure yeah yeah Yeah. and then yeah and and i was taking on a lot of the extra guiding too whenever i could um and he actually just this past june had another surgery to kind of correct some things that had been left in not a great condition um like in his scar line he developed some hernias from abdominal surgery that he'd had um and he had diastasis so probably a lot of women can um, uh, relate to diastasis. So sometimes during pregnancy your your abs tear and separate. Um, and so when he was cut open during abdominal surgery, he, his abs separated too. And, um, he was never able to like bring those back together through exercise. So he had surgery just this past June to bring those back together and correct the hernias. Um, and so he hasn't been able to climb this summer since May so we've lost him as a guide and he couldn't lift more than 15 pounds <laughs> since May. Uh, so I've been doing all the family lifting. Um, I'm, I'm strong right now. <laughs> uh, and then picking up like any of the guiding he would have done, I've been taking on this summer too. And it's, it, I underestimated how hard it would be to lose him this summer. Cause it's been a really busy summer. <laughs> Whew.
0: Uh, Yeah. yeah, I I want to send you a lot of admiration. You're a strong (laughs) woman, Andrea. (laughs) Thank Thank you for support, the family and everything. Um, And so how did you, you say you start guiding in 2003. Did you start in
1: Vermont? I did. Yep. So through Petroglyphs. um, I started working at Petroglyphs and kind of volunteering in 2001 and then starting to be paid in 2002, um, right out of college. I went to the university of Vermont and I'm from Pittsburgh originally, but chose to come to Vermont, knowing nothing about Vermont, just fell in love when I came up to visit. And I really wanted to, at the time I was snowboarding a lot. So I was like, Oh yeah, I want to go to a school where I can snowboard a lot. <laughs> now, I, now I ski, I try to snowboard still at least once a season. Um, But I came to the University of Vermont, and I got involved with the outing club a little bit. Um, But Petroglyphs had also opened in 2000, the year that I started school. And so I checked out Petroglyphs, and I'd really just gotten into climbing the summer before. Um, So all of a sudden, I came to UVM. I got a work-study position at the little tiny climbing wall at UVM. Um, But also, I checked out Petroglyphs, and... Um, started meeting more and more climbers in the community and realized like, wow, I want to climb all the time. That's all I want to do. <laughs> um, when I came to UVM, I was a chemistry major and I thought I wanted to be a high school chemistry teacher. Oh. <laughs> um, but then I realized I didn't want to spend all my time in the lab because I wanted just to climb. And so I switched my major a couple times. I switched to environmental Science, that was not what I thought it was gonna be. Um switched to environmental studies and then eventually switched to psychology. Psychology? Um, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So you got a degree in psychology. Yep, degree in psychology, my minors in Spanish. And I had started working at Petrocliffs um in two thousand spring of two thousand two. Um and I started teaching some women's clinics, just indoor climbing clinics, you know, movement and balance and bullying. And the owner at the time, really certification-based guiding hadn't taken off yet at that point. So the owner at the time was like, oh, you climb outside with friends. You could probably take this group of women outside climbing, right? I was like, yeah, I could probably do that. Um, And then, you know, instructed outside a few times. And winter came and the owner said, hmm, you've taken people outdoor rock climbing. You could probably take people ice climbing, right? (laughs) And I was like, maybe somebody said, well, you, you should probably join our ice guide training first. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that sounds good. Um, so I joined the ice guide training one day and then started taking people outdoor top roping on ice. And I top rope instructed ice climbing for a very long time before I ever lead climbed. I think it, it wasn't until 2007 that I started leading ice. Um, and...
0: Yeah. I heard so, that, yeah, sorry to interrupt you. I, no, no. I heard that it's much better that way because ice condition is a lot harder to tell. So you need a lot more mileage on the on ice before you really take uh, on the job in. I don't know Yeah, I. that.
1: I think it's wise. Yeah, it's definitely wise because y- you don't know what you don't know if you start leading but you haven't seen the variety of conditions. Um there's definitely exceptions to that. Like we have a couple really strong climbers who have started leading ice um and they're very conservative too. Like they know that they don't know everything. Um which is good, but you know, they kind of Defer to other people, like, is it safe? Should I do this? You know, is the ice quality good? Um, but, yeah, I, I spent a lot of years with really cold feet <laughs> just standing on the ground. So it was, like, an amazing new world when I started leading ice. Nice.
0: So you basically, well, you got to Vermont for school, and then you just kind of dive into this outdoor world and, and kept guiding you ever since then.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So how yeah how did that keep you there just because I love outdoors or are you, what is there any magic in guiding?
1: Yeah. I love the outdoors and Vermont is a pretty awesome place. Like we, when I was at UVM, we didn't have great sport climbing here. We had a lot of um, kind of hush hush climbing. The guidebook for Vermont didn't even come out until I think two thousand. Six or seven or somewhere maybe even 2009 so we didn't have a vermont guidebook for a really long time um so i used to travel to new hampshire all the time to climb um but we're kind of situated right between the white mountains of new hampshire and then the adirondacks in new york so between the three states we have really good climbing and, and pause because somebody just got home
0: <laughs> hi McKinley. Hey, McKinley. my name is hey. ting ting how are you
1: hi. hi oops she can't hear you <laughs> Yay. All right. You look like you had chocolate ice cream. I think. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I remember
0: when I left in 2008 the uh guy of Adirondack rock just came out.
1: Oh yeah, that's a good one too. It's huge.
0: Yeah. And so how's how's climbing there? I've never because I just I left, so I don't I've never climbed rock in
1: Adirondack. It's good. It's wild. And it's, it's really cool how different New Hampshire feels from the Adirondacks. And Vermont has its own type, you know, partly because of rock type, but also just the wildness. Um, Adirondacks are really rugged. Okay. And there's not a lot of sport climbing. I think more and more things are getting bolted, but a lot of trad climbing um, and a lot of just kind of remote, quiet. Um, things are definitely getting busier now with crowds. Um, but overall it's it's pretty wild still
0: and how long the route can be in the round deck like what's the longest route
1: that you can think of hmm um i mean chapel pond has four pitch routes yeah um out towards the diagonal like um yeah but maybe four or five pitch routes i see
0: um, the reason I ask is because um, my impression about East Coast rock uh, is so. Right now, you're assistant rock guide, so you definitely you you can operate
1: most of the East Coast rock, right? Oh, probably if not all of them, but most of them. I think all, yeah, all. Especially having the the apprentice alpine guide too, so that you know enters into anything that falls in the alpine realm, I can guide into.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious, like, would that really be necessary for you to get a rock guide?
1: Well, I really want to guide everyone. (laughs) Hmm? So especially, Mm -hmm. I really want to guide other places too. So at some, yeah, someday I'd love to guide in Red Rock. Um, And I think as McKinley gets older too, I'll be able either to travel with her a little bit more or leave for, you know, trips here and there. Um, so I, yeah, love to be able to just have the certification that definitely. allows me to guide anywhere.
0: Yeah. So you have a plan to like travel to other places to, yeah. to guide.
1: Yeah. Great. Yeah. And, um, and especially mm-hmm. since, since I attempted the exam and didn't pass, like I definitely have this, you know, <laughs> well, I can, I can do that. I, I, it's hard for me to let go the thought that if I'd had the other examiner pair, I feel like I may have passed with them. Oh, and so there's that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that can I can understand. Yeah. Huh. So uh, did you mind sharing why you didn't pass? Or would that be too much? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I, I'm happy to share that. And then I think you've you've probably seen my story about not passing the ice instructor exam the first time too. Um, oh so gee, I, I saw the one that, that you
0: <laughs> passed ice instructor exam, and then you were excited. You were one of the few women.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I bailed off of that exam in 2020 um, for other reasons, but um, but with the rocket exam, basically it came down to risk management. Um, when in doubt, don't run it out. <laughs> okay yes i don't know if you have you heard the phrase like when in doubt run it out no uh
0: i i do but uh <laughs> i i don't use that uh well i don't tell that to other people maybe i do that to myself personal climbing but i don't know
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well i think some of the climbing in the east it kind of demands runouts and so i was pretty comfortable climbing with some space between gear and one of the exam routes was Cloud Tower, um, mm-hmm. and so my co-candidate had the whole approach and the first three pitches, and then we swapped um, just above the crux pitch, and then I had the last three pitches and the whole descent.
0: Wait, you you climbed Cloud Tower on your exam? Yeah, that's a hard one.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. So, so my co-candidate had the first three pitches and the first three pitches all take pretty small gear. Yes. And so I had the number four in my backpack and, you know, I was following along and the crux pitch is 12A, I think. But at that grade, you're, you're allowed to aid through sections. Oh, okay. Um, so he aided through what he needed to, um, but then the examiner, yes, small gear. Yeah, the and then he hadn't set me up to follow Aid, uh, and the examiner called up to him like, "Hey, back clean some pieces so that I can top rope free it." Okay. <laughs> and so now he's like back cleaning some pieces, um, so that the examiner can like climb through and not have to clean un unclip as many pieces of gear. Yeah, and then I and then I was a third, so I followed, but there weren't enough pieces for me to like aid follow. Right. And he hadn't set me up with a gree or anything to be able to just jug through it. So I was like trying to climb, but then the examiner was like, you need to show me that you can clean aid. <laughs> I was like hanging and cleaning pieces. It was really, really strenuous um, and not ideal for me to then take over into the guide roll at the top of that pitch.
0: <laughs> huh?
1: Yep. So I got up there and the fourth pitch is, I think, Tennessee off width. And so we swapped racks and I coached my climbers through, like, here's how the moves are going to go and blah, blah, blah. And I start climbing up and I'd done this route twice before, except for the very last pitch. Um, so I start climbing up and the crack starts getting wider and I place my number three and I climb up another 10, 15 feet, ready to place the number four, but it's still in the backpack. Okay. (laughs) And so I have the conscious thought of like, hmm, well, do I down climb awkward 10 C off with and like hang at the number three that I placed, take out the number four and then get back up? Or do I keep climbing another 10 feet um, where I know there's two smaller bomber pieces of gear? So I decided to keep climbing because I felt pretty comfortable in this crack. And apparently the belayer down below and the examiner are just like, what the hell? (laughs) Like, why isn't she placing gear watching me run this out? Um, So I get up, I place the gear, I bring them up. Um, There was some conversation and they realized, like, oh, I still have the number four in the backpack. Um, And then we keep climbing up. And, you know, at this point, I don't know if you've ever had things get into your head when you're taking an exam. But just like. Oh, beating myself up after that for sure. Um, fifth pitch goes fine. But then I'd never climbed the last pitch because I'd gotten there and either there was a long line or got there one time and it was really hot. And that last pitch can be just in full sun. And so my co-candidate and the examiner were trying to psych me up to um, to onsite it. Even though it's 11 – I think it's 11C. Like it's harder than the standard.
0: So yeah. I could have aided it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I remember it's an Indian Creek
1: style crack. Yes. Yeah, and it's beautiful. It is. And so I was like, okay, fine. Yeah, I'll try to onsite it. And I go to get out my tape gloves because hand jammies weren't really a thing then. Uh, and I only have one tape glove. I was <laughs> like, what the heck? So I like take the time to build a new tape glove. I ended up getting dinged for that later because I took too much time, um, even though they'd been psyching me up to try to onsite it. And so I start climbing up and I read the description that the anchor is above a bulge. So I see this bulge and I'm like, yeah, and I start sewing it up. And I'm like, I'm almost to the anchor. And then I get above the bulge and it's the anchor is not above that bulge. It's the next bulge. <laughs> <laughs> but by this time I'd run out of gear because I sewed it up. <laughs> so and the anchor is like 20 feet higher. So I lower down. I back clean some pieces. I, you know, jug back up. The rope, and then I aided the end of the section. Um, so I got, I think, a marginal at that point for taking too long on the route and not being prepared. I feel like I was set up for failure on that pitch <laughs> <All
0: right. laughs> a little bit.
1: Yeah. And then, um, you know, descent goes fine. Um, and then either the next day or the day after that, the next day might have been our movement exam. Um, so pretty easy, like sport climbing day and fun day. But then one of the next days I ended up getting off route because I was climbing a route. I climbed before, um, for blind pillar. Oh, blind pillar, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I had in my head what one of the examiners said in the beginning, you know, as we were all kind of, um, talking around table before the exam started, Somebody said, you know, you should have these roots completely dialed, doing so much research that you don't ever have to consult your notes. And I got to this point on one of the pitches that I was like, oh, no, I don't remember where this goes. Like, does it go straight up? I know there's a bolt somewhere, but I don't see the bolt. And then there was all this talk that went out to the right. And... So I, I venture out to the right. I'm like, that doesn't feel right. So I came back to the left and I start going up and like, this feels too hard straight up. So I just got confused. And if I was actually guiding, I would have consulted my notes. That's what what kills me. Like, ah, I had my notes in my pocket. <laughs> but I just had it in my head that somebody said, You should be so, you know, dialed that you shouldn't need to connect uh look at your notes. So I ended up going out to the right when in fact the route went straight up, um, but did this kind of slabby run out with a couple pieces of marginal gear up and around. And by the time I got up to the ledge, I was like, "Ah, I know where I am. (laughs) So I like flipped the rope over so that one person could climb straight up and one person could follow. And the examiner ended up following um, in his approach shoes out this like kind of run out slab. And he, he said it was really sketchy and his approach shoes were you know, I felt more secure in my climbing shoes for sure. (laughs) Um, but yeah, then with the two of those combined, it was an automatic failure. And so they called me the night before the last day of the exam and and let me know that I hadn't passed. And so they said, they said I could join them on the last day of the exam. They were climbing risky business, um, into the top of dark shower shadows to the top. Um, But at that point I was like, "Mm, (laughs) no, that's maybe that would be helpful to you, but that's not going to do anything for me. So that's okay. I'm out. (laughs) I see. So I didn't join on the last day, but I did join up with the debrief. Um, And I, yeah, I completely understand where they're coming from. I do wonder if I tried to appeal like my climbing ability is my security. Um, But I don't know. I learned a lot about myself through not passing that exam. Um, which I think was was a good lesson, a hard lesson, and a lot of money.
0: <laughs> definitely. But my impression, hearing your story, is seems like there's a lot of I should not say rumor, but uh, some random advice flying around. Say, oh, you should never consult your no, you should be so prepared. Um and, and which as uh, so a guy, I definitely want to be prepared, but sometimes I certainly somebody want not uh, request a route, and I'm on-site guiding. I'm gonna consult my note. I mean, and I could, uh, I could make mistake on the approach for a couple of times, but I would always find a route. So
1: mm-hmm. I don't really th- think that's like a critical mistake, right? No, no, mm-hmm. I agree, and I wish I wish I'd consulted the notes. And yeah, I don't think that's a weakness at all, right? Um, especially under exam stress, like maybe i wouldn't have felt that way and that unsure if i hadn't you know had an examiner watching me <laughs> definitely hard to know yeah. yeah
0: and i was surprised that uh your exam on cloud tower I, I didn't hear that before because i mean it's a hard route and yeah. um so it's surprising that they they do that route that's I,
1: I that sounds like it used to be a pretty standard exam route, and huh. it sounds like they they don't use that anymore. So I'll be excited to hear what the new exam routes are for next fall. Okay,
0: yeah, All because right. I haven't heard people being on that, but certainly I've heard and, and I've witnessed people on uh which is probably eleven A mm-hmm. or something, just kind of skip the chimney part of epinephrine, so they don't have to compete with the crowd and stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think with all this experience and all that, which year was that?
1: That was 2015. So, it's still kind of like early days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, back, well, that's the other thing. I think now that the scoring has changed with exams, I think that is a good thing. (laughs) I think it's a good thing,
0: though, because I, I actually never intend to be kind of guide, but I eventually took my decided to start my ANGA rock track, but at that time, uh, a lot of people told me not to, because mm. there's a lot of rumors saying that the ANGA is pretty dogmatic and uh, it's just some, some crazy things, Rumor going around say the examiner will say you are for failure instead of success. Mm. But, but then my personal experience, I think time has changed. So uh, my personal experience h- had been positive, but that was after 2015,
1: so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've had, I mean, mostly positive experiences. That one, and I'm sure other people have dealt with some ego that just seemed like a little bit of too much ego at play. Like I was mentioning, the other examiner pair was Art Mooney and Angela Hawes, Okay. And I was the only only female on the exam, which has been pretty common. You I was, know. Yes, I was. On <laughs> <Louisville>. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so I thought, like, oh, it's obvious they're going to put me with Angela.
0: Oh, they And did. then, right.
1: and then di- they didn't. And I didn't argue. I didn't ask. I just kind of accepted, like, OK, this is where I am. And it's fine. Um, but then at the end, I did ask. I was like, "Why didn't you put me with Angela?" And they said, "Oh, it seemed like it was too obvious to put the two females together." Oh, ah. Okay. If I had been with Art and Angela, it would have been the most fun, relaxed, I think, exam ever because they're great. <laughs> cool. Um,
0: yeah. So, so how about your ice instructor course? That um, was that true? I mean, I'm not on the ice category. So I wasn't sure how many female ice instructors out there. So there are
1: not many? No, right now it's just me and Micah Burhart who are certified ice instructors. Who? wow. Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of a, you know, a little tangent of the Alpine Guide. So there are obviously strong female Alpine Guides, certified Alpine Guides out there. Um, But I think the AMG kind of recognized that people could become... Alpine Guide certified without being strong vertical ice climbers, waterfall ice climbers. Um, and so that's when they introduce the ice instructor course. and it's kind of optional you know for people to take the ice instructor exam. If somebody's going to be an Alpine guide, then I wouldn't necessarily recommend that they become a certified ice instructor. Okay, um, just because it's an extra you know extra fee, extra time. Um, if they're already going the full track and they they have to take the ice instructor course at this point, but not the exam. Um, but for me, I don't I don't see myself becoming an alpine guide, um, partly based on where I live and the train and what I want to do. I love alpine climbing more for fun. Not I don't think I want a guide. So you um, mean the ice instructor is uh can be an independent track. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. So yeah, for me, I I decided to take the ice instructor exam. And that was six days um in New Hampshire, and a couple of days in Vermont,
0: yeah, so it seems like in East Coast, my impression about East Coast um when I still live there, I climb some ice too, I play on the snow because the rock season just not all year round, right, right. so no so so how's the season like say, in Vermont, but you also got in so you got in vermont you got in new york and maybe mm-hmm. new hampshire too
1: yep yeah. yeah
0: so what's like the
1: season like um for you yeah it de- definitely depends on the year but rock season could be anywhere from april to october typically and then ice season december to march december to march
0: april to so the- There must be some shoulder season that's not good for either.
1: Yeah, uh, November is usually pretty dismal. That's how I started getting into dry tooling. Uh, Okay, yes. (laughs) Um, Just because it's like, ah, the rock is too cold, but there's no ice. What do we do? Um, So I started dry tooling. And I know there's some mixed climate terrain in New York too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, in Vermont, New Hampshire. Okay. And I... Uh, once I started dry tooling, I kind of went down that rabbit hole of... do. I was doing a little bit of indoor dry tooling. But then, I guess it was 2012, I decided to apply for the URAE ice climbing competition, mixed climbing <laughs> competition. Nice. Um, and I had done a Vermont uh, dry tooling competition indoors. And then... New Hampshire, their ice festival had a dry tooling competition too. So I I think I'd done that competition before doing URA. Um, so those were like my, you know, well, I know how to mix climb because I've done two indoor competitions. Nice. Uh, and I did a little bit of outdoor uh, mix, climb, mix climbing too before I applied. But then I applied for a live your dream grant to help get me out to URA. And I got the grant. And so I ended up going out to URA and competed And I had no intention of winning or even placing, but the previous year there had only been three women (laughs) and, you know, a dozen men, or I'm sure they had to turn away some men who applied. And so I was like three women, like there need to be more women applying and competing out there. So I'll throw myself at it. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Nice. Um, Yeah. So I went out and I competed um, two years in a row and the first year I didn't fall off. I completely timed out, but I ended up being the first competitor in the morning and it was like minus four degrees Fahrenheit Ooh. and could not feel my hands, <laughs> but I held on for the whole 12 or 13 minutes, whatever the, the time limit was. Um, and made it almost up to the man-made wall and then, and then came off. And then the second year I just like popped off completely unexpectedly. Um, so I was kind of bummed after that, but that was a lot of fun. And then, you know, I'm, I've, I've, kept climbing in some local competitions but i don't train for it much anymore just the people who are training now for mixed climbing (laughs) dedicate a lot of time and you know it's pretty serious Uh, and as you know as my Mm -hmm. introduction was i don't have all of that time anymore right
0: yeah so how do you prioritize your time right so um I know a lot, guys. I mean, obviously, different uh, depending on the phase. You might have some emergency, but um, and then maybe you also have some personal climbing uh, objective. So, you know, do how do you pr- prioritize your time right now with your balance, work life balance?
1: Yeah. Um... I like to think of it more as work-life harmony, harmony. okay. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, definitely not in balance. Um, I think because a lot of my work just is my life, you know, owning the business and then we take McKinley to the climbing gym a lot. And we're there a lot. Um, so yeah, it's all in harmony, but not necessarily in balance. Um, prioritization, um, this point you know family is definitely a big priority mckinley is so cool and i don't want to miss these years and i want to spend a lot of time with her um so i've learned to be comfortable like giving work to other people and saying like oh this program looks really cool and i'd love to do it but you know they'll be fine if they go out with somebody else and that person will do a good job too (laughs) um i've hired more people to work indoors um so taking some of the load off of my plate um, which has been amazing. We're still growing. We're still super busy at the climbing gym and between climbing teams and summer camps. Um, we have guiding that happens with all of those groups too. Um, yeah, we're still, still busy. And I I feel like I could use another full-time person. Um, you may move
0: to (laughs) Vermont. (laughs)
1: full-time year-round guiding is hard. Um, Yes. but yeah, if you want to work some front desk shifts, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. And there's definitely some personal climbing objectives. You know, I I think it's really important for guides to have that time to get out and climb personally, just because it's not the same type of climbing when you're climbing with guests. Um, you're not typically pushing it and falling, you know, you don't want to (laughs) be, be doing that. Um, so trying to maintain as much personal climbing as I can, that's an area I could grow in for sure. Um, I don't think i have quite enough personal climbing. So I've been trying to take off Wednesdays, um, especially once now McKinley is in school full-time, which is great um, because I have a little bit more free time now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, uh, I watched the, the videos you and Steve made with Mahmood. Mm-hmm. And uh, I watched them all, but this one video talking about well the harmony, the work life harmony, and then I don't remember the exact quote, but you say, well, you know, right now I don't have a lot of time for personal claim, but you know, just keep doing it, um, keep doing it, and I bet later than say your daughter's older and you have more time then you can still pursue your personal climbing go if you mm-hmm. keep doing it now. And- yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a big thing that I've seen with friends who were climbers and then got pregnant and then kind of just gave up climbing, which for them I totally respect, you know, their decisions. Um, but I think it is Easier well, it's harder to keep going for sure. It's like it's there's a lot of stuff to pack up or um just a lot of logistics of continuing to climb and continuing to guide while having a kid. Um but I think it's really worth it. Um if if that is what feels good to you.
0: Yeah, I mean that definitely that's um what you said resonate with me. Um because I did a lot of her a lot of personal climbing before. Right now I fall Guy, Um so obviously, my personal guiding t- uh, climbing time has decreased a lot. Mm-hmm. And I always worry because you're getting older and older each year. Um, but I've, I also think a lot of my friends whose kids now almost college, and they enjoy this emptiness time doing a lot of big objectives. So I was like, that makes sense. You know Sometimes you have to uh, look at things in, in a long view than just being depressed at that moment and worry about things.
1: Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. With, there's, there's some quote about like, if you look back on the past year, you've never accomplished as much as you had hoped to. But if you look back on the last five years, you know, it's a pretty different view. In the last 10 years, like, wow, look at all these things you've accomplished.
0: Yeah, yeah. so actually to just tag on that, thing that you just said. So you start guiding 2003. And right now it's 2023. So it has been a long time. And right now, um, well, with the newest season of my podcast, I'd like to ask some bigger questions. Is, so if you look back, so kind of wrap wrap around with your career, what would you say would be your proudest
1: thing? Ooh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I can think of a couple moments just off the top of my head. Um, I mean, one was when I guided um, this route called Ragnarok during one of our ice festivals, which is a mixed. I think it's M4, but WI5, um, pretty hard mixed and ice climbing route during one of our ice festivals and I guided up these two men, uh, who definitely saw me in the beginning of the day, like they wanted to climb a classic and this is what I chose as the classic, um, a really stout classic. And they were kind of like, uh, what (laughs) you're our guide. Um, and yeah, it just felt, felt good to give them an awesome day and have them probably completely change their perspective on what a woman can accomplish (laughs) at the end of that day. Um, and then well, on my advanced rock guide course, I remember having the fastest time for my rock rescue component. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> and it all came down. Ooh, I don't know if this will work for everybody, but it all came down to doing a five to one downward pulse. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they threw that at me like, okay, do a three to one. Now do a five to one. I said, can I do a five to one downward pull? And, uh, my instructor was like, uh, I, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, it's five to one. It's just, <laughs> but saved some time and worked better for me because of my size. And room. right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, yeah, the couple moments that stick out at me, but, um, I don't know. I had a lot of really, really great days on ice and really great days on rock with people. I love experiences out with women and, um, turning them into more self-sufficient climbers or more self-confident uh, climbers nice. like that's always awesome when somebody comes in just with so many questions and then it all kind of falls into place and makes sense for them and,
0: yeah, yeah i enjoyed that myself too i think yeah. yeah and how about say um say your people so we've been talking about an hour or so and say if if you want people can only take one thing away from this episode,
1: what would you say? Ooh, hmm. Well, I think one thing I had been thinking about was um, that kind of getting into this career was not something that I ever expected or planned for. Um, You know, I used to, all my aptitude tests from high school said I should be a physical therapist or (laughs) I don't even remember what else. And I remember looking through J.Crew catalogs in high school thinking like, oh, I can't wait until I can wear a suit. (laughs) Um, I'm very happy to not be wearing a suit. But then my parents weren't very supportive of me choosing this line of work either. Um, They felt like I had pretty much wasted my college career. And it took Steve backing me up. Um, I remember we had one. Time my parents came to visit we had just bought a house and they came to visit and they were staying with us and they made some comment about me wasting my college career <laughs> and steve said you know she's actually really good at what she does Ooh. like oh <laughs> and um yeah i mean everybody started crying <laughs> and my parents were like should we leave right now I was like no we'll get through this we're fine um and it's been cool to see them come full circle and now that they have moved to Vermont, you know, everybody knows who we are because Vermont's small. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, Steve and Andrea from Petroglyphs. Oh, yeah, we know them. Um, and so now my parents are like entering the community and, and using us kind of to join into the community. Um, so it's been cool challenging those expectations and just showing how legitimate this career is. Um, and I think you've talked to some other people about that too. Like, how do you make it all work? You know, how do you guide and have people see it as a legitimate career and make a living and make enough money? Um, but I think if the passion is there, you know, guiding really gives that passion a purpose. And, um, yes, yeah, I guess that would be my, my number one. Yeah. Just keep, if it makes you happy and you love it, you're, you are helping lives, um, you know, like people need climbing in their lives. People need that slow down and um, just all of the good things that climbing does for them. <laughs> yeah, I
0: love this. I mean, let me tell you, my mom still wants me to find a real job.
1: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I feel you.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to, I mean, part of the reason I started this podcast is I'm trying to find all sorts of, uh, reasons that I can convince them this is actually a beautiful real job. And Mm -hmm. then it's just a little bit unconventional. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think climbing guides are, are so in tune with, well, speaking broadly, maybe not everybody, but a lot are just really in tune to nature. And like, I was listening to another podcast recently, Hidden Brain. I listen to a lot of like psychology podcasts too and um it was about slowing down and savoring moments and that really resonated for me like you know in climbing i'm pointing out little micro features and you know or look at that funky lichen over there and really just slowing down um, and noticing things and savoring the moment um that's so important in our lives i think that are so busy these days
0: Yeah, and I don't know how many people who listen to this uh, knows too much about East Coast.
1: And I've been away
0: for so long. Can you say something that inspired us to visit Vermont, New York, New Hampshire, or anywhere in New England?
1: Sure. Sure. Well, so sometimes we're like, we try to keep people away. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, no, no, the climb is no good here. Don't, don't. Here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, with, with guidebooks now and apps that have the guidebooks, like climbing has definitely become more popular here. Um, but it is hard in a lot of places because parking is limited. You know, some of the access is limited. So it's been um, harder, the more busy, the more popular places get just you know for access cuz a lot of the land is a lot of the climbing is on private land. Oh, okay. Yeah, unlike kind of out west where a lot of public the climbing land, is yes. on public land, BLM, yeah. Um so just something to I don't know, keep keep note of um sometimes access can change to like um trails can change if a landowner just decides that they don't want people on their land anymore. Um but Crag Vermont is the local climbing um affiliate of the access fund for so our local climbing organization, and they've done a great job at communicating with landowners and keeping climbing areas open. Um, but the climbing is, is great. It's largely schist in Vermont. So schist is kind of a mm, sharper rock. It, it doesn't flake really uniformly. It kind of fractures in, um, uh, I don't know how to describe it completely but it's it's not like granite where everything you know fractures in nice cracks and really smooth um it just has a lot of texture so you can smear really well it has a lot of sharp edges um so a lot of crimping we don't have a lot of cracks in vermont but that's where it's really nice to have new hampshire um can go over and climb granite cracks um but there is a granite band of rock that comes through vermont too so up in the Northeast kingdom as it's called in Vermont. So the Northeast corner of Vermont has some big granite bands that have really nice cracks in them. Um, and then that kind of continues down into central Vermont and there's some big granite slabs into central Vermont. Um, there's some limestone, there's limestone that overhangs like Champlain and some of the pictures there look like you could be climbing in Spain or Greece, like, no tufas, that would be very <laughs> cool. Um, but overhanging granite sport, uh, sorry, overhanging limestone sport climbing, very cool. Um, so it's really a good variety here. I you know, see in the uh, yeah. Adirondacks, there's some Anortha site. and it's all you know, there's good cracks, there's good everything, good slab. Yeah, it's really varied and um, a really good community around too. So, not just the climbing, but I think the little cities and towns and um general atmosphere is really fun here
0: yeah definitely good um good community Uh, Mm -hmm. wide varieties of rock and Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the year have a different type of sport
1: multi-sport access absolutely and i do think that if you can do it here like the east is a really good training ground for anywhere else you go
0: okay yep Um, training ground in terms of, um, means like a big alpine route or like just get used to different type of rock
1: and different type of rock. The grading can be kind of stout, um, where some of the ratings have been changing over the years to actually reflect the difficulty of a route. But, you know, when five, nine was the hardest (laughs) rating in the country, a lot of, um, New Hampshire and Adirondack climbs were rated five, nine. That could be anywhere from five eight to five eleven. <laughs> yeah, I actually
0: start track climbing in the Gunks, so oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I I do know the lower ratings. Kind of, I start with like five three years. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Gunks are great, and the Gunks are only five, four and a half, five hours away. That's mm-hmm. so a good weekend trip too. I see.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. And so, well, um, how do people find you? I w- I would definitely put your Instagram, Petra Cliff, and Petra Cliff has Instagram and a website. And what mm-hmm. other resources you want me to
1: put out on the show notes? Yeah, um, you can put my Instagram. It's at VT Andrea. Um, from there, I guess I'll put up my, my Etsy account so you can find my Alpine Yeah, dress. I, I would love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I personally okay. don't
0: wear much jewelry. Yeah, I just, I feel it's you know when i rock climb get in the way uh but i definitely look at looking forward to see your creation for sure <laughs> thank you I, I, yeah oh i forgot to ask you about the side hustle i guess i would think more a little bit about what i want to start and then maybe ping you to if i need some suggestion yeah. that helps yeah
1: Let's talk. Come, come out and come ice climbing and then we can talk about a side hustle.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I do you're on the ice tour right now, I so ice. <laughs> can I borrow your ice tour? <laughs> yes, I, okay. have, I
1: have just a few pair, yeah. <laughs> okay,
0: great. Uh, yeah, so uh, let me know when you are in my neighborhood, we should go climbing. I, I definitely don't work every single day, so I will have this okay. for you.
1: Good, I would love that so much. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, thank you for taking this time for me to interview you and uh, yeah, I I can't wait to see you either uh, in Red Rock or perhaps I will travel to you.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I can't wait to see you too, Ting Ting. Yeah. All right, thank you. Bye.